on this episode of The Business of Freelancing, we dive into our experience with YouTube for marketing, promotion, and audience growth, discuss what we've tried, what we're planning on trying, and give our recommendation to you, dear listener, on how we like YouTube for building your business. On this episode of The Business of Freelancing, we have Eric. Hi, everybody. Reuven. Hi, everyone. Mark. And I'm your host, Kai Davis. So let's chat about, uh, not a relatively new, but a really, really powerful marketing system folks could use as part of their marketing mix. Let's chat about YouTube today. So uh, I know Eric, Reuven, Mark, all of you have a presence on YouTube. I'm the outlier here. I don't have any content on there aside from a video from like a decade ago. So I'm curious, uh, how are each of you using YouTube currently? How does it fit in? And uh, Reuven, why don't you kick us off? So I see YouTube as a chance to reach people who would not ordinarily hear about me, know about me. Um, YouTube is, from what I understand, the second largest search engine in the world after Google. And yes, they're owned by Google. So there's probably some cross-pollination there. So I want people, when they are on YouTube and are looking up stuff about Python, to find my stuff and then to find out about me. So it's all about lead generation, getting them onto my list so I can then sell them courses. But I decided that I wanted to try it because I saw not only as a way to get sort of search engine results there, but it's kind of like a blog in that it builds you up this reputation, this back catalog of stuff that maybe a year from now, two years from now, someone will be searching, they'll find it, and they'll still find me. Um, and so the longer I keep producing content, the more I'll be out there for people to sort of stumble upon. It, it never goes old. It's not like a newsletter where it's going to go bad. Um, so I started... I guess in October of last year, so about a year ago, with I think it was about 400 subscribers or so. And I started putting content on my channel probably about once a week, once every two weeks or so. That's about once a week. And I'm now up to about almost 3,000 subscribers. So it's not like, you know, rocket ship, hockey stick sort of growth, but it's like not bad. And I'm starting to get comments on a regular basis and people are coming to my list from, from there. So it's making some waves for sure. And I feel good about that. Awesome. How about you, uh, uh, Marg? How does it fit into your marketing? Yeah, so I'm very much in the beginning stages of being a creator, a quote-unquote YouTube creator, uh, which basically means I'm just starting to put videos on it. I'm, I feel like I would consider myself a pretty hardcore YouTube user. So the platform has been like a part of my daily use for like the last decade. So I would say that I'm in the space of like just diving in probably within the last month to six weeks to creating my own content. But um, I have been able to sort of observe other people's growth and be able to see kind of work, what works for them. And then along the way, I've started to take some, uh, some courses and really check out a lot of the tutorials to optimize YouTube. Uh, Cause like Ruben says, I mean, optimizing it like any other search engine, uh, so I can get the most of my videos. So I'm starting to do once a week. Uh, luckily, I've just taken on an assistant to help me with that sort of flow because I feel like once you get into all the little things that you can do to optimize each video, that in, is a, in and of itself becomes like a job. And then there's editing and all that other stuff. So I've tried to be able to keep things as, as sort of short as possible. And I use... Um, and we can get into resources and stuff maybe later, but uh, I've been using Descript, which I really love. It's made the editing process awesome. 
Um, and then I try to upload weekly and they're all sort of Shopify tutorial based as well as there's a lot of freelance stuff in there too. So there's some um, like proposal walkthroughs and stuff like that as well too. So it's all based on um, keyword research. So I usually try to see what's what people are looking for and then write about that in the sort of e-commerce space. So, so far it's been good. Um, like I said, I just started. So um, I'd like, I'd love to sort of revisit it like a year from now and see, uh, and see the kind of growth. But uh, yeah, like Ruben was saying, I feel like it's consistency and providing value are probably the biggest things that I've heard um, help growth get into like the thousands and hundreds of thousands and beyond. How about you, uh, Eric? Um, so I'm basically like a trash creator on YouTube. Like, um, uh, it's, it's pure experimentation for me. Um, I actually, I used to create videos for Pluralsight.com, like training videos uh, for those in the app dev space a bunch of years ago. Uh, last one of those is, I don't know, 2014, 2015. So I got decent at creating videos and then I started just uploading throw together things to YouTube. I don't know, four or five years ago, like Codecasts, kind of pre Twitch. And so I never put like much, if any, effort into it. It was just easy, and I built up a bit of a following. And in more recent times, like over the last year or two, um, I've started to have fun with it. And basically, it's a lab for me, like my channel on Dead Tech. Um, the production values are great. Like I'm not really probably doing anything right. I'm just enjoying myself. Uh, so it's kind of like a hobby, but it's also an experiment that I'm running to see how different things work. And so to develop an idea of like what to recommend and how for hit subscribes cl clients. So I'm treating my channel dead tech as kind of a crash test dummy. And then on hit subscribe, I'm repurposing live streams that I do elsewhere and putting those on the channel and occasionally starting to make actual videos with an actual marketing purpose for hit subscribe. So uh, I guess I would summarize by saying that historically I've just been doing it as an experiment and now I'm starting to feel good about um, good enough about our knowledge of it to do it as an actual first-class marketing thing and as something that I would sell to our clients. So I have a complex relationship with it, which involves a lot of knowledge, but a pretty lackadaisical attitude towards being an actual creator. So I guess that's sort of a unique situation. I mean, it works okay. Like I've got 600, uh, 600-ish followers on dead tech. So somebody must like it. Okay. <laughs> uh, Mark, you had mentioned that like, uh, you sort of do some keyword research before deciding what to put on the channel. So I, I decided I was going to try a slightly different approach, which is when someone emails me from my list or if someone asks me a question in a course, I'm like, huh, that's an interesting question. Then I, instead of answering them personally, I'll answer it in the form of a YouTube video. And so I have this relatively constant stream then of questions coming in. Now I actually invite it at the end of most of my videos. I say, contact me on Twitter, contact me via email, let me know what questions you have. And so I have real world questions that I know people are interested in that I can then pick through and then choose and then answer. And that's become also more interesting for me where I can see what the uh, actual need is out there. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a great strategy. And I think it speaks to like nurturing the audience that you already have, which is awesome. Yeah, there was a guy who asked me a question in a comment on YouTube. He was like, oh, I see that you're using this thing called the Jupyter Notebook. And uh, I see that you're telling us how to use it, but why do you use it? So about two weeks later, three weeks later, I produced a video that was like, 
Someone asked me, I didn't remember who it was. Someone asked me, and he wrote a comment. He's like, that was me. That was amazing. Wow. Thank you so much. So I'm definitely building, you know, for lack of a better term, a community there of people who are following and interested in it and just sort of feeds on itself. That's, um, so actually, I guess if, if I'm thinking about what I have on YouTube and what I'm doing, it's, it's entirely everything I do on the dead tech YouTube channel is just answering reader questions and viewer questions now that people send in. So for answering questions, it's very good, um, community building. And the, the thing I would say from a marketing perspective is like, if you think about blogs, like 10 years ago, plus people would subscribe to your RSS feed and read everything you put out like a magazine that's becoming less and less common, especially with brands, what you're doing now to build those relationships in the age of video. Um, YouTube is a much better way to build a relationship with your audience than text, uh, which I'm not the biggest fan of all things considered because I like writing better than making videos, but the connection created with your followers is undeniable and it's, it's more intense and uh, I think profound than over text these days. What about when it comes to monetization? Like how are each of you monetizing your videos, ads, services, products, uh, uh, coffee or Patreon tip jars? Like what's your uh, strategy or plan there? So the way it works on, on YouTube, like w when you watch things on YouTube without an ad blocker, well, you see ads, you know, beforehand. And sometimes it's really long in the middle as well, as I've discovered sometimes. And so when you get on YouTube, you're like, okay, how do I turn on the ads? And if you go and find the place where you can turn it on, YouTube says, sorry, you have to, yeah, not even sorry. You have to get a thousand subscribers and 4,000 hours of views on your videos within the last year. Which means if you have 4,000 videos, each of them an hour long, then like, you know, you'll probably reach that relatively quickly. But most people don't have that many videos. And so it takes time to accumulate. So I definitely, one of the reasons why I started to um, upload more videos was, okay, maybe I can get to that number faster. And so last week, two weeks ago, um, I actually reached it and they sent me emails saying, congratulations, you are now in the YouTube creator partner program. You can now monetize. And so when I upload a video, it doesn't only ask me what is the video's title or what is its information tags, but how do you want to monetize this? Where do you want to put the ads? Um, and I finally realized, wait, I, I, I don't want to. <laughs> like the point of having the channel is to get people to find me, see what I'm like when I teach, for example, get onto my mailing list. It's brand recognition that I'm, you know, lead generation. And if I stick up, ads there, that's going to turn off some huge number of potential leads, which is the opposite of one. And how much am I really going to make at this point? So uh, as I, was, I mentioned before we started recording, maybe if I ever get to the point where I have millions of subscribers, and I can afford to you know, tick off 20% of them, 30% of them, I will. But for now, I, I'm, I'm just ignoring the monetization altogether. How about you, Eric? Uh, uh, are you currently monetizing or thinking about monetizing or... Well, if I were going to monetize the Dead Tech channel, I'd have some cleanup to do because I've had videos copyright claimed. <laughs> That's uh, it's it's for playing. Like I have fun with it. You know, I throw movie clips in there. I play music, and so the what a copyright claim is basically on YouTube. Somebody comes along and and puts a claim on it. They don't want you to take it down, but I put some song I found on um, one of the videos, and so the song owner is basically saying, "Hey, if Eric were to monetize this, I get that money." That's what a copyright claim is. Uh, jokes on you, I have no intent of producing any money for anyone out of it, but um, in all seriousness, I wouldn't monetize dead tech. 
Um, for the same reason, I tend, I, I experimented a long time ago with monetizing the blog with paid ads or I get a few hundred bucks a month, but I ultimately, because of the optics went away from that. And I don't think I would ever monetize the dead tech YouTube channel or blog unless I were going to make borderline a living from it. Like uh, it just wouldn't be worth the optics. And I'll explain what I mean in a second. Um, on the hit subscribe side, since hit subscribe is a growing business with like uh, employees and it's a B two B company, I wouldn't I wouldn't monetize that. I mean, imagine that you go to like a developer tool site or something, and they're running affiliate links and uh, and advertising. Like that's a weird look for a business. So I just wouldn't think of it with hit subscribe. And when I talk about the optics, if I think if I were still like serious about doing consulting through dead tech, my worry there would be somebody lands on the site, like somebody who's commissioning uh, consulting, like an enterprise um, company looking for IT management consulting, and they see that I'm running commercials basically to make a few bucks, um, you know, I guess with like banner ads or whatever, you, that starts to not look like a professional website. It starts to look like, you know, some affiliate site that you've stood up or whatever. And so for me, I wouldn't monetize and I wouldn't have any plans to unless the amount of money you were wheelbarrowing up to my door was so profound that like I, I couldn't say no. But for a few hundred dollars or even a few thousand a month, probably it just it wouldn't be worth my worry of turning off my high ticket customers that are lifetime value of five, six figures. Yeah. I'm curious, like if we zoom out on monetization and not just like YouTube ad monetization, but, uh, within the hit subscribe videos, or even the day tech videos, are you promoting, uh, your services or the business overall? Like, Hey, if you need help with this, you know, go over here and become a client. So I guess bigger picture monetization, not just YouTube slap, slaps and ads on their monetization. So dead tech is a hobby. Um, you know, I guess I, if I ever had a hundred thousand followers, I might look and say like, well, this is enough of an audience that I could monetize it somehow. I'd probably just tell them to go buy my book or something like that's just fun for me with hit subscribe. Um, my plan is so right now we've just kind of put videos up and often I'll take things that customers ask me, make videos and use them in our sales pipeline. So um, for instance, here's a very common thing that I do. I put up a video uh, about how you fill out the sheet that we use for briefs for content briefs. Um, and I'll refer clients to that when they're asking about um, or when we're doing onboarding with clients. So it can serve this utilitarian lead nurture kind of purpose with prospects or, or new clients that you're onboarding, you can convey information. The thing that I'm looking to do next is to start kind of um, a, a more broad nurture campaign where I'm going to create some videos with the idea of like nurturing leads along that are on our mailing list with kind of like helpful tips. So from hit subscribes perspective, um, I'm starting out with not much uh, lead gen interest there. And I'm going to start using it for things that are already in our funnel to kind of like nurture them along. And then after that, I might start um, time permitting if I can finish hiring and backfilling for sales and some of the things I'm doing. I might start to look at it as an organic search top of the funnel kind of lead generation. So what are uh, our clients searching for that would make for good video content? And how do we get in front of them? So yes, definitely monetization, but like for our own offerings, not affiliates, not advertisements for other companies. So if, if I were thinking of like affiliate marketing or advertising, we would have one advertising slash affiliate client. It would be our own business. Makes a ton of sense. How about for you, Mark? Uh, what's the plan when it comes to monetizing on YouTube? 
Yeah, so I'm still in the early stages. So it's really interesting to hear uh, sort of the take of everyone else because I'm so immersed in YouTube just as a user on a daily basis that I'm so used to ads. So it would never turn me off if someone was advertising. So to see, um, like to see that side of things that it could turn people off and how the optics potentially could look is is super interesting to me. So I, I do appreciate that because it's honestly just something that never would never occur to me. Uh, I do think that there's also different ways to go about it as well too. So there's obviously the stuff that we know of, which is like the lower third banner ads or like the mid rolls in the middle of them or like the ads before and stuff like that too. But I do think that there's a way to be able to advertise um, that I'm seeing a lot of creators do that it's like a spoken advertisement that they do inside of the uh, inside of the video. Of course, if it's like something about gardening and then they're all of a sudden like promoting something in a totally different industry just for just for the ads, of, of course, that's out of alignment. But I do think that getting to a point of audience growth, if there's if I can have placements of things that are actually really beneficial, like if people are running their own development business or using um, like creating things in e-commerce and uh, like a fresh books approaches me, I do think that's a good fit. So I do think that there's things that if there's a partnership that I can take on, that's beneficial to me, but like also beneficial to the like forward movement of the users and beneficial as an additional resource to the users, uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Uh, I also do include in the description, I do right now include affiliate links. And I think the reason I do that is, well, I disclose that they're affiliate links. Um, so they're welcome to sign up. If someone wants to sign up for Shopify, they're welcome to just Google Shopify, sign up, take the 14 day trial. Um, with my affiliate links though, they get a free three month trial. So there is uh, there is a benefit with going going that route. And I think that if there's, if there's a way to present it in a way that's really works out to the benefit of the user. Um, but then you, I don't think like, I'm totally fine getting cash back as a result of that. Um, because it seems like a no brainer to me to be like, yeah, of course, sign up through my Shopify affiliate link and get free three months instead of the three, four, two days. So there's definitely things like that um, that I would 100% do as far as monetization, as far as like throwing ads, um, throwing ads into the middle of videos and, and things like that. I don't know. I mean, that's something I'll have to, I'll have to figure out. But I have no problem taking on like an internal sponsorship if it fits well with the brand. And I also um, will continue to put my affiliate links because I, I do think that they ultimately serve the end user. Um, the long game, of course, it's free educational content with the intention that if they want uh, next level or more specialized content, then they would trust me enough to purchase my programs if they ever wanted to go to that level. But also, like, the intention is watch the videos, like, watch them for free, take in all the education that you can. If you don't buy anything, that's fine. But hopefully, through the free education, they would learn to trust me enough that if they wanted to up level, then they would. Um, trust me to take one of my programs. So that's kind of the ultimate funnel. But I do think I would monetize when I get there. Um, but I would be more selective about it, for sure. I should now that you mentioned that, like, I, I forgot all about this. But like, now I'm a hypocrite. Like, 
just out of like sort of old habit, I do throw a think affiliate links in the description of videos that I create. If I mention a book, like I'm just used to doing that over the years. So um, I guess, uh, you know, I'm not overly worried about uh, optics on dead tech because I'm not trying to sell anything through it, but um, I don't actually know if those make me money. It just like popped into my head. I'm, I, I was so used to doing that for a long time that I still do without really consciously thinking about it. So are any of you currently driving YouTube traffic to your email list? So almost looking at it as a trust conversion, moving them one step, you know, further into the relationship with you. 100%. Where's the flow more like email list to YouTube? You are Ruben? Yeah, yeah, 100%. I mean, I even mentioned it like at the, I'll put it in the description of, well, let me back up. As I mentioned earlier, many of the um, things that I address in my videos are questions that I got from subscribers to my list. So I'll say that explicitly. I'll say, hey, Doug, who subscribes to my free weekly better developers list. Um, so I'll mention that at the top. And at the end, I'll even put up a link to the uh, the list. And I'll encourage people to go there and get more content. And I've definitely seen on my uh, new subscriber surveys that some people have come come from the YouTube videos. Um, but I, that's that's my goal. I mean, my, my, my goal is, of course, to sell things. But sort of like what Eric said uh, before, which is I want to be able to say to my YouTube list, hey, go buy XYZ and have a big enough audience that they will. Um, but a first and sort of easier sell is, hey, why don't you go get this free content? And then I know I've got them more hooked because they're subscribed to me on a regular basis in two channels. Yeah, I think I'm definitely using it in the same direction. There are people who definitely push people to YouTube because YouTube is their sort of bread and butter. But I'm trying to do it like Ruben in sort of the opposite direction in that optimizing YouTube for a search. Uh, and then when people find me, it's ultimately redirected back to the site to enter like uh, a free challenge or get a free resource that complements the, the free education. And then of course, I mean, we're all running businesses. So they go into a funnel and they uh, hopefully convert at some point. Um, I don't have any kind of call to action like that or integrate it with a mailing list. Not yet. I it's a good idea. I'm just playing with form more or less. So I haven't instrumented anything like that. I figure um, just from a marketing perspective on either channel that I maintain, the main KPI there for me is the subscriber count. Um, if I prove that I can drive that up, I could drive it up for other companies. And you, if you have that engagement, that serial following, um, you can always call to action to a mailing list or any other kind of asset that you have. So I'm not overly worried about it just yet, but that is ultimately, I think, um, looking in the future, what I would want to be doing is that seems like a logical next nurture step um, down below the videos is I'm actually like thinking of a series that I might do as part of the email nurture campaign where I'm saying in the video, like, hey, uh, it's because of this, you know, mailer that we send out, uh, go down below into the description, click here if you want to sign up for this mailing list. Nice. You you touched on something that aligns with my next question, Eric. How are you each working to grow your audience and followers? Is it, you know, do well in the search engine and organically grow? Are you driving any paid, any external traffic? What do your growth strategies look like when it comes to YouTube? I have uh, not done any paid traffic yet. So I'm curious if you guys have and what sort of results that you've seen, because I'm always interested in sort of the, the ROI of, uh, of paid traffic from any source. Um, right now, 
it's my channels in its infancy. So I'm just trying my best to optimize through uh, optimize through keywords. Uh, I am taking a course right now that goes through sort of all of the the ins and outs of how to optimize optimize each video as well as optimize a schedule. So I'm doing my best to get found for what people are searching for. And I think that's my strategy right now. There's a ton of other stuff I know you can do. I also know myself and I don't I want to be mindful of uh, piling too many strategies on at once. So I think right now, really focusing on um, organic search. <laughs> Again, this is uh, has to do with the form play, but I just kind of don't bother to do anything strategically. Although if you're listening to this, that's like, what you should know is that over the years through my blog, I built like I had a blog that had, you know, on the order of tens of thousands of followers. So if I want people on the channel, I'll share a video to social media following, or I'll write a blog post where I frame one of the videos and that always results in subscribers. So it's kind of easy to say that having a fairly large audience to begin with. Um, but I'm kind of interested to see through doing nothing, what happens if you produce content and what the YouTube algorithm surfaces based on watch time and that type of thing. Um, I do have future plans to look at organic growth through YouTube as a search engine, but those types of searches um, tend to be more like if you think about why people would turn to a video search engine, usually those are more how to -y kinds of searches, which means that you're probably doing something like a code cast or, you know, you're walking through somebody through a tutorial that's like very visually oriented. Um, and I don't have a lot of things that, you know, as it pertains to my business, hit subscribe, like that meet that and aren't just utterly dominated by Neil Patel or whoever. So if I'm trying to sell a marketing service and I'm like, Hey, here's how to do keyword. It was like, well, good luck with that. You know? <laughs> um, so organic is kind of a tough play and I might think about how to work that in at some point, but if you are an app dev or you're in something that isn't, you know, content marketing much easier. Like I, I think that YouTube uh, for people that are doing technical things is so underserved right now. Um, so I think you could grow through organic that way. Tell me a bit more about how you see it being underserved when it comes to technical things. Like where's the, where's the opportunity or leverage there? I mean, the easiest to so say, like when I think about where all the big YouTube creators are and the sort of things that I see, um, you know, whether it's things like, I think there's a lot of like makeup creators out there that have huge followings. Mark, you could probably speak to this. Like, I think like, RV life, van life, those are like huge following things on YouTube. Tech, app dev, not as much. I mean, there are some big creators out there, but like they invariably start like hawking, I, I don't know, their own courses about how to interview at Google and it sort of gets like shambolic. Like, to, like, I think that there's a space in any given tech stack to like build a pretty big audience. Um, and the thing I'll say is if you go to Google and you do a search for something like, um, I don't know, uh, getting started with C-sharp, some, some kind of like tutorial-oriented search, and you see a video show up uh, in, in, in the front page of the search, that's Google telling you that people really want to see videos about this topic. And oftentimes those videos are coming from creators that have virtually no following or it's a complete one-off. So I don't have examples off the cuff, but the thing that strikes me in doing keyword research for our clients over and over is it's like, you know, there's a gold rush waiting to happen in terms of how many people you could get in front of on technical topics. Oh, that's encouraging. <laughs> <laughs> how about for you, Ruben? How about uh, how you're growing? So I'm currently growing at about five to 10 subscribers on a given day. 
um, with me doing almost nothing. Um, and I'm hoping, like, if I play my cards right, let's say a year from now, I can, you know, be at, uh, let's say, five or ten times that. So where are they coming from? First of all, they're coming from just organic traffic. But I definitely get a boost when I do something clever slash sneaky. So one thing would be um, I take my uh, video on YouTube and I promote it on, say, Twitter. That helps a little bit, especially if it catches hold. It doesn't happen a lot, but okay, to some degree. Uh, another thing I do is I'll mention it to my email list. So um, just recently I wrote to them and I said, oh, I know, I had uh, uh, a webinar for people possibly interested in weekly Python exercise. And I mentioned, okay, I'm going to be having this webinar, and even if you miss it, it'll be on my YouTube channel, link to the channel. Boom! Lots of people. Like I got, I don't know, 30 subscribers each day for three or four days of doing that for my list. Um, another thing I've started doing recently is with my corporate training, uh, I have to install, second time mentioning this, uh, this, uh, show, the Jupyter Notebook. And it's sort of hard to install if you don't understand the Python ecosystem. And I used to give them text instructions. Then I was like, wait a second. Why don't I just do a video? So I did a video on how to install the Jupyter Notebook. It's become very popular on YouTube. And now each and every person going to my corporate training gets email in advance saying, go to my channel and see this video. And you can be sure then the day or two before I actually do start, start going for training, I get more than the average number of people subscribing because people say, oh, this might be interesting. So it is a lot of cross promotion. That's true. But I think that the, the steady grind of people coming in is organic. And I just wanted to also mention, I know um, Eric mentioned this. Uh, I just picked up one of the things that he said too, in that competing with, very large names that kind of already have that traction it is like so hard to get um to get traction in those areas because i've i've tried with like very generic questions that are highly searched but also there's like so many results for so uh when i've been researching it i'm kind of look for this just in case anyone's like checking out how to do keywords there's like a i guess there's a lot of um strategy behind it but I kind of try to look for something that has um generally with the numbers of um like a high uh, pretty high search rate but also uh you can use like keyword um keyword finder and stuff like that and find something that has the keyword or key phrase that you're looking for that has less than like 50,000 videos or something like that about it so I found that in my keyword research, continuously searching for searching for the stats for uh, and trying to find that perfect balance of things that are like highly searched, but there's like a low volume of videos for um, has helped, I find with just with view counts more than anything. But yeah, I did want to just pick up the thing that Eric said about competing against like very established creators already is an uphill battle. <laughs> Yeah, from what you all are sharing, it sounds like one of the uh, intelligent ways to approach this is a combination of long tail phrases combined with a niche or a specific focus. So maybe it's like how to find keywords for your Shopify store, not how to find keywords. And uh, uh, just finding like, I think of it almost as a ratio. Like you said, Mark, where are there topics that are in high demand with a high search volume, but don't have a lot of content or a lot of expert, highly produced content? And using that as another almost quality signal and you find that intersection and suddenly it's like, oh, here are one or a batch of keywords and topics. Now let's crank out some content, ask the audience for more suggestions and see if we can get a flywheel going almost. 
Yeah. And also I find it helpful so far. Um, again, I'm in the very beginnings, but to separate yourself from the people who all this stuff, like there's so much volume with and with Shopify specifically, there are like all these questions that people are typing into, like typing into the search engine, whether it be Google and the videos are coming up or whether it be YouTube directly, they as a result, there's so many drop shipping channels like Shopify drop shipping are like the they have infested uh, YouTube. And so I'm really trying my best to separate myself because I do not do drop shipping. Like we don't do drop shipping. We do custom sites. It's all like custom work. We make custom themes. We, we do like we ship locally, all of that stuff. So I'm also still in the process of trying to figure out a strategy of like when people are searching for this like how do they find me and how do they not find like a million drop shippers and because I don't feel like they're in the same category so I'm really trying to like tease those things out as well too zooming out for a second I'm curious about uh YouTube versus the new kid on the video block TikTok are any of you uh exploring TikTok or using TikTok personally or professionally and I guess how do they compare uh Marg, I think you're sort of on both. So let's start with you. Uh, yes, I. So I've been on TikTok since it was Musically. I don't know if you guys remember Musically. It was in like 2016, and it was basically like karaoke for your phone, for lack of a better term. <laughs> and then it got bought out by TikTok. I think it was like late 2016, early 2017. Um, so it just your your account kind of carries over, and. The evolution, so I've been a user since then. I have like a few videos up. All the dance videos are deleted, so don't bother trying to look up. Um, oh. oh well. <laughs> I do have, there's some cat videos still. I deleted a lot of stuff that wasn't relevant because I'm like changing gears towards, uh, towards education. But I would say in the last six months, especially since quarantine, there's been a huge change over to um a ton of educational content of course the algorithm will serve you stuff that you're looking for but because i look for like finance education and health that's kind of like all the stuff that i'm getting now so the refinement of their algorithm has been like it's very accurate now which is great and like kind of almost scary but uh so i use it in that capacity and i'm starting to implement it more in educational capacity there are two or three um, Shopify sort of experts that I follow. I started following them uh, a few months, three or four months ago. And two of them, there is a brother sister combo. And then there's a couple other Shopify people too. I started following them when they were maybe at like a few hundred subscribers. They're at like 120 to 150,000 uh, followers now too, just within a few months. Uh, what I'm also finding people are doing is you can, uh, TikTok has the ability for you to in the profile link directly to YouTube and or directly to Instagram. So what I'm finding a lot of people doing in like the educational space is they'll have a long form YouTube video by long form, probably mean like between like the 10 and 12 minute range. And then they'll take that info, cut it down to the 60 seconds, which is the maximum you can use. And then they'll kind of like say as much as they can in the 60 seconds. And then you can always go over to YouTube if you want to see like the more detailed video and like the comments and engagement and like conversion from what I'm seeing other accounts, it's, it's like been blown up. And I'm seeing that uh, TikTok and YouTube are working really well 
hand in hand. I have yet to do like this grand experiment myself. So I will, I will keep you posted on that side of things for sure. One last question for you, Mark, when it comes to TikTok, are there any resources for keyword research or topic research? Or I guess, yeah, how do you identify relevant topics or relevant content on TikTok since we talked about the YouTube side? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't think there's anything. I don't think it's been around long enough for there to be like a concise strategy yet. So I think it's kind of like you see what other people are doing that's working and just through like observation and kind of like ride that wave. Um, There's definitely people on TikTok who are TikTok experts. Um, Because it's changed so much in the last year, I'm always leery about people who have after engaging with something for less than a year, consider themselves an expert. <laughs> so I'm always kind of leery of the self-described described experts, but it is pretty easy. I mean, you can search things and you can see like, you can in like the home screen, you can search and see what the search results are for all of the, uh, and see how many videos exist for all of the terms that you're looking for. So just in doing like a few simple searches on the app, you can see quite a bit of info, but I, so far, the strategy that I'm following is basically look at the people who have had that kind of growth and try to emulate it with the same, same style of videos, for sure. Do people consume TikTok content for tactical reasons, like the way you might a how-to video or a blog post, or is it entertainment? It's, from what I'm seeing on my feed, there's a significant amount of entertainment, but there's a ton of... Um, like tactical advice. The thing with TikTok is you do have to get creative about it. So for example, there's one guy who does um, like interview questions. So instead of having like a long YouTube video about like how to succeed in an interview, he'll do 60 seconds of like quick cuts between like the interviewer asking a question and then him giving the wrong answer. And then the interviewing uh, interviewer asking it again and then him giving the right answer. And then maybe the last 10 seconds is like him explaining why the right answer is better. And then that's it. So there's has to be an entertainment value from what I've seen so far, but there's definitely a way to get educational content across um, in that because also there's a few YouTubers that have now come over to TikTok as well. Like um, Hank Green is also on there too. He's, I mean, he's been a YouTuber forever. He does um, he's done like a ton of educational content on YouTube for, um, for science. And it's a lot of kids use it for like their courses and stuff like that a lot of the time. But, um, each one is like one snippet. Like he could have just like a 60 second video about pelicans and then that's it. Like, so (laughs) it's very like ultra specific. Um, if that, yeah, I don't know if that answered your question. I went on too much of a tangent, but. Oh, no, totally. No, it, it, it feels like TikTok is sort of like the Twitter of the video. That just as in, in Twitter, you can, if you're really good at being concise, then you can get a lot of information across to people. But it has to be that way. And so TikTok, I mean, at first I was thinking, wow, 60 seconds to explain something. There's no way. Then I thought, well, that's actually like two or even three advertisements. And ads get information across. It's not super deep, but you can get some basic ideas across there. So, but you need to be really smart and clever with your writing and your production. 
Yeah. There's also, too, a, a really cool feature, which brings me back to what you were saying before, Ruben, which is um, you were saying when you make a YouTube video, a lot of times in the comments, people will ask a follow-up question, which you could base another video on. So in TikTok, it works pretty much exactly the same way in that you make a video, there's tons of comments, somebody asks a question, and then you can hit reply. And then it does like you hit a video reply and it does a video that also now lives on your feed and now is like searchable with their answer. And their answer is also linked in the video automatically. So they can now click back to the original video or click back to your profile and stuff like that as well too. I must admit, I, I originally thought, I guess it was about a year ago when TikTok started being mentioned, I was like, huh, I bet there are no other Python instructors on TikTok. I should take a look at this. I should try it out. And I realized like, this is just not, not my style at all. Uh, I mean, ignore the dancing and the music and the stuff, which is definitely not my style. Um, but I just don't see myself being able to effectively explain things in that sort of medium. And I'm sure that other people can and will. I actually did search about it. And there were people just sort of taking movies of themselves typing at their screens, which doesn't strike me as super creative or clever. So people are trying. And I'm sure someone's going to succeed. But you know what? I don't have to be everywhere. I can just be many places. The thing that I would say, especially for people listening, the more I'm sort of steeped in a marketing-oriented business, your um, your audience, they are everywhere. Um, so pick any social media. Some of them at least are going to be on it. But not all of them are in a buying or interested frame of mind when they're on it. So like you know, a lot of our companies uh, or our clients from hit subscriber marketing to software engineers. And so a software engineer may well be on TikTok or Instagram or whatever, but usually if they're on Instagram, they're consuming vacation photos or something orthogonal to them being a software engineer. And so that's not really the medium where you're going to have the best signal to noise ratio for reaching them. So the thing I would say in general is there's a deep understanding to be done of your audience and you might want to pick like two or three media platforms to try to be dominant on, or you'll spread yourself too thin. And depending on who your audience is, that might be TikTok, YouTube, it might be Twitter. Like it's going to vary by them, but like find where those folks are, I would say, and focus on a few instead of trying to like jump on and break ground on every new thing that comes out. Unless you have reason to believe that like, Hey, everybody's flocking to Twitch, you know, to, to do streaming, I ought to go over there. So that's been my kind of experience. If you're a bigger company, like if you have a social or a, a marketing department at your disposal, you can have more reach. But if you're a freelancer or solopreneur type, like that's, you can quickly drown yourself in like content production and spread it a mile uh, wide and an inch deep. Yeah, full agreement for me, Eric. Like it's so much better to do a few things done well. Even if it's just like one or two tried and true channels that you understand and your audience is on, then if you're like, oh, let me spread myself across, you know, eight different channels and add whatever the new hotness is. Yeah, you might like get lucky sometimes, but that's so much energy, so much effort and so much brain power and attention that might end up going nowhere. And Ruben, you wanted to touch on quality. Yeah, so if you look at videos on YouTube, many of them, especially the most popular ones, are going to look super, super snazzy with like musical intros and dancing letters at the beginning. And, you know, it looks like a professionally produced TV episode. And in many cases, they have like professionals working on these things. Um, and then you have me sitting in my home office with my bookshelves and old computers behind me. 
And at first I was like, oh, maybe this isn't good. But you know what? So far, so good. Now, maybe the reason I don't have 100,000 followers is that people don't like seeing my bookshelves and so forth. But I don't think that's it. I think that it's, it's it can be an expression of who you are. And if people are there for the content, that's fine. Um, now, that doesn't mean you shouldn't pay attention to some quality. I've, over the time, been ratcheting up how well I edit. And I've been, been getting it better at using ScreenFlow and figuring out how to edit things and make it better and put text overlays and so forth. And so it's a learning process. Your original videos will be bad or worse than your current ones, and your future ones will be better than the current ones. Um, but it doesn't mean you should not go on YouTube until you've achieved perfect cinematic perfection because that's just out of reach for most of us. You know, um, that reminds me. I wish I could remember where I saw this, but it was very eye-opening to me. Somebody was explaining that there are essentially three buckets of video quality on YouTube or, you know, any video channel, there's vlog quality, which is like you in selfie mode, like recording yourself doing stuff. And everyone expects that to be terrible, but they'll still consume it. It can be interesting. Then there's kind of middle of the road quality, which I think is what you're describing, Ruben. It's certainly what I do, where I'm going to make some effort, you know, I, I don't want to turn people off or drive them away with like terrible audio quality or something, but it's, it's you know, a person in their living room or in their office and then there's like production quality and the person who was doing this, I really wish I could remember, but it, they were saying like the mistake creators tend to make is to think that people are, are, um, are expecting that top band when they're really, they're expecting the second band and people really get twisted around the axle of like, I need to get the perfect mic. I need this, you know, video that captures things like there's so much equipment that I have to buy when really it, it's almost like landing on a blog or a website. Like if you just make the experience not suck, like people aren't expecting you on your website to have written like an academic white paper, just a blog post that isn't horrific to read uh, that tells you how to do what you want. That's kind of what people are mostly looking for with video walk me through, maybe entertain me a little bit and teach me, you know, how, how do I get going with object-oriented programming in Python? I don't need that to be like, you know, a Disney quality movie. I just need to be going in Python by the end of the video. It sounds like the guideline is good enough, not great, not perfect. I mean, for me, yeah. Uh, and with content across the board, my experience has always been, that results in following, it'll get you the occasional comment that's like, hey, you know, you should really do this with your mic. Or, I mean, like, there's always going to be that if you're sufficiently popular. But like, for me, it's like, it's in the metrics. If a lot of people are bouncing off of your content or something, then you've probably got a quality issue. If most of the people that land watch for a good duration or read for a good duration, you're probably fine. Any any final words of wisdom or advice for a listener who's saying, either I'm already on YouTube or I'm thinking about producing video, uh, uh, anything you'd recommend to them? I'd say consistency. Don't get too hung up on the details because things will evolve over time. I would give the piece of advice that like I often give and, and firms that will work with a hit subscriber are often like less aware of this than you would think. Uh, have KPIs and have at least them be within shouting distance of eventual return on investment, which is admittedly the most hypocritical thing, given that I said like dead tech is form play. And I barely remember that. I, yeah, I do affiliate links there or whatever. I have no specific goal with that content, but it's fun and I'm learning as I do it. That being said, if I were serious about it, I would want to say like, well, okay, my goal is to build an audience of, you know, 30,000 or more people, because with that level of audience, then if I think of this from a funnel perspective, I could bring maybe 
5% of them to this other place and so on down the line. So it doesn't need to be perfectly reasoned out. But before you go and you learn about a new medium in which to create content and you invest all this time and energy, I would at least want to be able to reason about like, how is this going to pay for itself on a long enough timeline? So I, you know, it doesn't have to be perfect, but have like a, at least a, a, a straw man in your mind about like, how is this going to pay off? And I would add, I, we often talk in the show about how important it is for us as freelancers to have a niche and have a very clear sort of laser focused topic that someone associates with us. And that should be true for your YouTube channel also. If you do some things about programming and some things about gardening and some things about family pictures, that might be very nice, but no one's going to want to subscribe to your channel when it's so scattershot. So if this is to enhance your business, have the videos about your business, have it be on as specific a topic as possible so that the people who are potentially your customers are going to be interested in your channel and vice versa. So I'm curious, uh, uh, what are your picks for uh, this episode? And uh, Ruben, why don't you kick us off? So I've had uh, a long relationship with Google Analytics. And the relationship is one of benign neglect and guilt, meaning I've installed it on <laughs> my sites. And then once every year to year and a half, I say, oh, I should really learn how to use Google Analytics. And I go in, I learn something more about it. And I say, oh my God, this is so complicated. It's changed since the last time I used it. Um, and so I recently, I don't know, about two, three weeks ago, discovered, discovered uh, Fathom, which is from uh, Paul Jarvis and I can't remember the other name. And I am blown away. It is Google Analytics for people who don't need all that complexity and just want to be drop dead simple. It took me maybe, maybe 10 minutes for me to install it on the two sites that I run, my regular WordPress site and my Podia site. It's just a bunch of uh, JavaScript that you stick in there. Super ridiculously easy to get started. It's very easy to understand what's going on there. And again, for my purposes, more than good enough. There are ways that you can set goals, but I haven't even gotten that far. Um, I'll add that I emailed them with one or two comments about the sign-up procedure. And within hours, I've gotten a response back showing like, yeah, it's a small company, but they take pride in customer service. They're going to respond to people. Um, it also is something you have to pay for. It's not Google Analytics. They're trying to make money from it. Um, but I'm super, super impressed with everything I've seen so far. And I'm really happy to have stumbled into it. And no longer will I have that guilt with uh, the folks at Google. Nice. How about for you, Mark? Yeah, I would say my pick today is um, a course on YouTube that I have taken. I have no affiliation with, but she does a really great job. Um, her name's Sunny Leonard Doozy, and it's YouTube for Bosses. I'll put the link in. Uh, also, if you just search her on YouTube, and there's another woman named Catherine Manning. Uh, she also has some amazing YouTube tips and tricks. So I guess that's three, two YouTube channels in one course. How about for you, Eric? Um, I will throw a pick out to a tool called TubeBuddy, T-U-B-E, buddy, like YouTube. Um, it's something that I use. It helps you optimize your videos as you upload them. Like it's a browser plugin and it will help you optimize tags and other things. And it gives you um, intel on like the search volume and competition for various things on YouTube. So it's just this general um, 
uh, what's the like a companion program for YouTube that enhances a lot of YouTube's built-in functionality. It is a paid tool, but I think it's it's something that's like comically cheap. It's like two bucks a month, or I forget what it is. Um, so that's something I use across the YouTube channels that I have. And the other one I'll do is after kind of bashing my own YouTube channel this whole episode, if you go to my YouTube channel, which I'll throw a link in, Dead Tech, um, I have fun with it. And it is literally consists almost entirely of reader questions uh, that people originally blog watchers, now followers of mine on YouTube are asking about um, generally application development in freelancing. So my audience skews heavily software. And so it's freelancers and aspiring software business owners asking me questions about business. And I answer those questions. So um, you might, you know, learn a few things and have a laugh or two along the way with those videos. So if it's interesting, feel free to check it out. And my pick, uh, uh, Descript. I've started using Descript again. It's a, uh, I'll call it a transcript generator. It's a piece of software. It runs on my Mac. It's like for a paid plan, 15 bucks a month. The transcript quality is amazing. Uh, and it's AI powered, machine powered. It just really impresses me as a piece of software. Really nice to use, really nicely designed, high quality outputs. And it's just really improved my flow for everything from generating transcripts for this podcast to uh, generating transcripts or content for uh, courses I create. I recently recorded a couple intros for a new course I'm creating. And it was great just to have a flow of, hey, let me ramble into the mic for a couple minutes to get my thoughts out, quickly export that text, clean it up, add some structure, and then re record it. And it just produced high quality audio. So a strong recommendation for Descript. Uh, and we'll toss a link into the show notes as well. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of The Business of Freelancing. If you enjoyed this episode, please head over to the iTunes podcast store and leave us a generous five-star review. And if you dislike this episode, please, again, head over to the iTunes podcast store, leave us a five-star review, and let us know what we could do better. We'll see you on the next episode of The Business of Freelancing.